Yes, what extra detail could possibly emerge next week about the delivery of nuclear-powered submarines to us, given how much was leaked in these last couple of days? It's been a feast of detail to digest. Prime Minister Albanese, President Biden and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will outline the next step in AUKUS in San Diego on Monday. Very significant sets of decisions for all three countries, but arguably mostly for us in this partnership. Leaks reveal that Australia will probably buy three or more Virginia-class nuclear-powered submarines from America in the near term, maybe not new ones, while simultaneously working with both the Brits and the Americans on a common sub-design for much further down the line. Now, what are some of the key questions? I mean, there'll be many over the coming months but and years, probably. Uh, but what are some of the key questions to understand about this vital decision? I'm pleased to welcome back Alan Beam from the Australia Institute to the program. He spent much of his career as a senior defence planner inside the D, the Defence Department. Welcome to the program, Alan. Good morning, Geraldine. Thank well, you. What do you see as the strengths and the weaknesses of this deal as announced thus far? Look, I think its strengths are that we're headed towards at least some conclusion to what's been a very sort of difficult passage from the theatrical announcements by Boris Johnson, uh, Scott Morrison and President Biden last year to another bit of theatre at San Diego next week. Well, at least the theatre next week will tell us, if the rumours are true, that we will be actually getting some submarines and that we're going to join with the Brits in planning a new one. So it brings a, a sort of process to a conclusion. But I think what's interesting, Geraldine, is that it leaves so, so many unanswered questions which impact on the viability of the decision. And uh, that's the real detail, I think, that we're awaiting. And it will be very difficult, I suspect, to get answers to the many questions that people will be asking. Why do you think it'll be difficult to get those answers? Well, I think it'll be difficult because we don't, in Australia, actually have the engineering skills to build these sorts of submarines. We're going to have to develop and acquire those skills. Uh, we don't have the educational courses in our universities that support nuclear engineering, particularly the sort of nuclear engineering that goes into submarines. We don't currently have the the, the people in the Navy to, to man and, and operate these submarines. Just the other day, Geraldine, I, I looked at the Navy's pennant list just to see what's happening with the, the Collins-class submarines, and I discovered that none of them at the moment have a captain which sort of indicates that none of them are operating. And so the question is, if we can't operate the six we've got, what are we, how are we going to operate the three that we haven't got? Look, um, and so I, if, there are many of these questions. Yes, there are, undoubtedly. It's possible, I suppose, that it's such a shock, as it were, um, that, that that we can step up with shocks, can't we? Australia's not bad at that, and it's done that before, usually when there's somebody sort of, you know, like the Japanese in their doorstep. But might this be the sort of spur that is needed to really jolt people out of a sense that uh, we'll just rattle on as we are? It may be, though I would have liked to see that jolt come with a bit more deliberation. Um, it's all very well to have a jolt and to to sort of read about how China is going to attack us within three years or, according to one general in the United States, within two. Um, they're all fairly upset unsubstantiated statements. I think what we really needed was a much more clinical evaluation of what our strategic risks are at the moment, rather than positing threats where they may or may 
not exist. That's the first thing. And the second thing, I think, is that we do really need the substantiated development of policy to sit behind what is a massively big and massively difficult acquisition. Uh, this is this is sort of much more complicated than the first uh, Snowy scheme that that um, uh, Tiffley got going. It's much more complicated than Snowy Hydro too, um, and we don't know how we're going to do it. So I, I think that it's all very well to have the jolt. I guess we do need that. We need to look at the world as it is and do something about how we want it to be. But at the same time, uh, as I mentioned to somebody just yesterday, you can't jump a chasm in two goes. Okay, well, let's look, at, let's look at some specific questions that I, I know have been put by people. Um, do we know that a third production line of submarine building uh, in the US is possible? Because that's the argument that we will fund a third production line. We'll, in effect, put money into the US system in order. And, and various people have said, look, actually, that is the most cost-efficient way of doing it, um, to, to build the sub. Now, do we know whether that's going to be possible yet? It's a pretty critical, impo- critically important question. And the answer is no. We don't know whether that's possible yet because we do know that the United States is having its own problems staffing the, the two production lines that it's got already. And to build a third one takes time. It takes investment. Um, it's very nice of Australia to make that investment in US capability, but how long it will take for that investment to realise and to be able to produce submarines, we don't know the answer to that. And um, there are so many unknowns, Geraldine, that this is highly problematic. What about the key question of of how much above uh, 2% of GDP will defence spending have to be? If you take that in uh, in tandem with the Defence Force Review, which is the second part of the sort of examination of our defence preparedness, would you care to guess what you think the figure might be? Uh, not as a percentage of GDP. I don't think a percentage of GDP is the way to do your defence planning. I mean, we don't do that with anything else. We don't say, oh, uh, we should spend 1.5% of GDP on aged care. Uh, normally, your expenditure targets are set by what you want to do and you cost them out and then allocate funds to them. You, you don't simply say, well, out of all our treasure, we'll put 2% to, towards this particular target. So I don't think that is a very good way of doing our defence budgeting at all. What we do need to do is to bring to account what the likely costs are, um, tell everybody what those costs are, and if that exceeds uh, 2% of GDP, so be it. Uh, We have to calculate then what the opportunity costs are. What are we not going to get for the fact that we spend more money on getting submarines? Uh, That, I think, is very difficult work. I've had a go at doing some of that earlier along in in my life, and it is difficult work. uh, It takes a long time to do it, and you've are often wrong anyway. Uh, as we've seen with Snowy Hydro, I come back to that as an example, that was budgeted at $2 billion. It now looks as though it's going to be 10 um, These unforeseen costs uh, are at the heart of these very complicated programs. So you just can't throw a dart at the dartboard and say, oh, it'll be 4% of GDP or 3% or whatever. I think we've got to do is to bring the costs to account and that's a really imperative task. Now, I presume it means that other orders will have to be shelved. I suppose that's again a huge debate like 
the tanks which were which were being ordered, which are, you know, there's a discussion that that's going to be massively reduced, or the Hunter Frigate program in order to meet these bills. And of course, you know about the furious rivalry that is underway, that's always underway, between the different uh, arms uh, uh, of the Defence Forces. So that, that again is something that we won't have seen quite so intensely, I wouldn't have imagined, um, brought into sharp focus by this. I think that's likely, Geraldine. I mean, the, the competition is always intense. Um, it's one of the things that make working there such good fun. But I, I think that in this particular case, again, we need to balance off what the policy parameters are. I mean, how much how much ground force do we need and what kinds of ground force do we need? Um, how much air force do we need and what kinds? And the same goes for the Navy. Uh, these huge submarine projects do possibly have uh, a continuing risk for the surface fleet, for example, so that the, the internal defence force structure opportunity costs have also got to be brought to book. And uh, at this point, that hasn't been done. There is conjecture that the, the purchase of tanks will go down, and, and that may be a sound decision. But I, I do think that the argument needs to be put and it needs to be evaluated, and that hasn't happened yet. So I'm not going to sort of guess at how it should be. There's far too much guessing going on at the moment. I think what we do need is a clear set of propositions about what kind of balance we do want in our defence force, how much we should spend on the submarine arm, and I'm a very strong supporter of the submarine arm, I might say, but not at every expense, not at, not at all costs. Uh, we have to balance it off against an appropriate land force for the sorts of things that we do internationally. That is always done by the land force and occasionally by the Navy. Um, how much we need to do in the direct defence of Australia with our land force. And then, of course, how much we need to do by way of much longer distance defence of Australia, and that is a, a maritime force between the Air Force and the Navy. All of that needs to come to book. That's really what I'm arguing. Yeah, and look, I suppose the other sort of obvious question is, if we're going to be so involved as this is clearly now is going to happen with the US forces, if they ask us to join in some other maritime um, exercises, you know, maybe through the South China Sea or more, it's going to be difficult for us, isn't it, to stay, say no, given the inextricably intertwined relationships? Or do you think that's wrong, what I'm suggesting? No, I think, I think Geraldine, that is correct. I mean, I think you've put it much better than I might have put it. We have a predisposition, I think, to support the United States come what may. Uh, we've been doing that since Korea, and there's hardly uh, an adventure that the United States hasn't embarked upon that we haven't gone as well. Uh, that predisposition, though, needs to be sort of considered against what our direct national interests are. Um, you know, were our national interests really met by going into Vietnam? Almost everybody would say no now. Were they met going to Iraq? Most people would say no. What about Afghanistan? I think people might say no with that too. So what an Australian government has to do is to consider at all times its own agency. There's been a kind of spurious discussion about how much sovereignty we're going to have and how much we're not going to have. That's not really the issue. The real issue is how much 
agency does the, the executive of the Australian government have when a request comes from the United States and says, hey, uh, we want you to come to this. Uh, we know you haven't got a whole lot of stuff to bring with it, but we really do need your flag on the table. And uh, an Australian government looking at the sorts of scenarios that have been put before the public just in the last week would, I think, have to swallow hard and look very closely at exactly where our interests are engaged in the sorts of things that the United States might ask us to do. Where are we going to have these debates? I mean, these are all, you know, need to be debated by a better informed citizenry. Where is this? Is it Parliament? It sounds very complex for Parliament as we know it. Yeah. Well, look, I think it is for the parliament. Ultimately, we're a democracy, thank God. And, and um, you know, these, these conversations and debates should be held out there in the parliament and in, of course, the, the extensive committee system that we have in the parliament. Uh, on submarines, for example, I mean, it's only two, three years ago that Admiral Samet was saying, well, you know, we don't need nuclear submarines. We, we really need to go the conventional route because that's what we know to do. And, and that was all seen as very plausible at the time. Suddenly, we've made a huge leap and we're off into a, a, another project right. now without the sort of discussion that was going on in estimates right. at that time. So I do think we need that. And then, of course, the commentariat needs to be more informed than it yes. actually is. Well, that's what we're trying. Okay, Alan Beam, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Have a good weekend, Daryl. <laughs> Alan Beam is the author of No Enemies, No Friends, Restoring Australia's Global Relevance. It's published by Upswell, and I see that La Trobe University is doing a different discussion this coming week on these discussions. Okay, news time coming up. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.